Sort of the bench mob podcast today we have a special guest with us rj evans thank you for taking time out to be on the show for y'all that don't know i'm gonna read a little bit of his bio to introduce him to y'all all right graduate of holy cross graduated with 1200 points 477 rebounds 214 assists 130 steals patriot league rookie of the year in 2009 the current assistant coach at holy cross Again, thank you for hopping on. How's everything going? Man, it's great. It's great. Uh, thank you guys for having me. Really appreciate it. Uh, for sure. Uh, just want to start with this. How cool and how dope was that that you played at Holy Cross and now you're a coach there? Like, how how did that come about? Uh, no, that's awesome, man. It was a, a great opportunity. I mean, I started coaching in about 2015 and there was always my opportunities came down south. I lived down south for five, four or five years, and then this job opened up, and I had a connection to the head coach, and I got lucky. And I always wanted to come back to Holy Cross because it was the place I graduated from. Got a lot of love for the school for what it did for me. So now I get the opportunity to give young men the same opportunities that I had when I grew up and came out of college. Love That's that. Love that. Yeah, not a, not a lot of people know that like obviously your experience playing at Holy Cross and then becoming coached there is great, but people don't know that you started coaching on, on a lower level at the, you know, D3 level. Um, sure. Kind of talk to us about how you got involved with Nichols College and um, eventually what made you make that leap to the D1 level. Yeah, so basically I after I got done playing overseas, I uh, I got back into working world trying to use the Holy Cross degree. I started working at a startup in Providence and honestly, I got bored. I was just bored doing the job, the nine to five. It wasn't really wasn't me. And I, um, a lot of people don't know this, but my parents kind of adopted a kid. You know him, Chris, uh, Irving Eggleston. Um, we call him Bougie. He's, uh, he lived with us his senior year of high school and kind of became like a little brother to me. And he went to Nichols. So I kind of just wanted to be around him. And so I hit his coach up and was like, hey, can I come work the guys out? I'm bored. Like after work, I'll come put the guys through individual workouts. I started doing that about maybe two, three times a week, just driving up to uh, Worcester from Providence, which is about 45 minutes, just to put the guys through workouts. And then the next thing you know, I was showing up at practice. And then middle of the season, he hired me as an assistant coach. And I was I was leaving work early just to go to practice, go to games. And I found my way back in the gym more than at work. So I decided after that season, I wanted to find a way to really do this basketball thing for real. And I hit up all the coaches I played for. I mean, like basketball is a big connection. Like you got to, it's who you know in basketball more, more than anywhere. If you apply for a job, you're probably not going to get it in basketball. It's like who you know and and who you're around. So I hit up all my former coaches and 
eventually like he called me one day and said Shaka Smart had a graduate assistant position at Texas do I want it and I was like yeah and then it kind of and after that it's been it's been a wrap that's really dope um a lot of people go through that not really being that nine to five but not many have that opportunity to get back to what they love speaking of the sport though when did your love for basketball start for you probably pretty early um I come from a sports family, like all my uncles. Actually, most people in my family played football, but my uh, one of my uncles played basketball at uh, CW Posts, and kind of basketball was kind of in my family. Like, it's where we're from. It's from Queens, New York. I mean, basketball is big down there, and it's just something that my dad put a ball in my hand since I was young, and I ended up playing basketball and football, and then I chose football. I chose basketball, but football is my family sport, but probably – I'd probably say I really started loving basketball probably about eight or nine years old. Where I started taking it really seriously and traveling across the country to play. Yeah, you would, man. I remember you growing up, you know, coming to your games, watching you uh, play basketball, but even football, man. You know, Antonio, uh, RJ was a dog on, on the field, too. He played quarterback. You know, he could sling that thing a little bit, too. But I remember, like, his senior year, he had already signed with Holy Cross, so he had to uh, take a few games off and not play for the season. But one of the games that I remember growing up was obviously that that New London rivalry, right, um, mm-hmm. that, that you guys had. And I remember being in middle school, coming to the game, and just seeing that that packed-out uh, arena, um, you know, packed-out gymnasium and, and just watching you guys do your thing. And, um, you know, at that point, a lot of people already knew you were going to be special. A lot of people, um, you know, pegged you to go far in your career. So kind of growing up and whatnot, what made you stay consistent and stay the course and, and just keep your head down and, and really evolve your game? For sure. I mean, I think a lot of credit goes to my parents on that one. I mean, they kind of taught me the value of hard work young. Like my dad had me doing stuff, sacrificing, sacrificing weekends, sacrificing all that stuff since I was a little kid. And that was kind of just my thing. Like put your head down and work. And that's, that's kind of what I live by. Like, Everything else is just noise. Control what you can control, and just everything else is just noise. And that's kind of what he instilled in us, me and my little sister, since we were kids. And like, if you ask anybody growing up, like in high school, I wasn't out at parties. I wasn't doing that, like, until I fully established myself because I had something to prove and I wanted to get a free education ever since I was young. I didn't want my mom to pay for me to go to college. That was one of my goals. And I just had to work for it. And that was, that was one thing that kept me going. It was like, obviously, things happen, you get accolades, but if you really think about what the main goal was, was to get his full scholarship. And that was, that's all I was worried about. Yeah, that's dope. We talked to, uh, on a previous interview, Brevin Knight was tell- telling us how like, the goal wasn't to like go pro. The goal was to get a college education for free. And mm-hmm. if anything else happened after that, that was like the cherry on the top. That wasn't really, really that wasn't yeah. the main focus. Uh, with Holy Cross though, so what was it that, Holy Cross became your decision. Like, what was your process of choosing Holy Cross to go to play ball for? Definitely. So if anybody knows my mother, she is a huge academic lady. So if I came home with a B plus in high school, we had a problem. So like she was, <laughs> she was really big on academics and me and her are really close. So one thing I, I made a priority in my recruiting was I wanted to go to an academic school because I knew that was important to her and she made it important to me uh, eventually. So my final two schools were Holy Cross and Harvard. And the the choice between that, a lot of it came to one, really, I was comfortable with the head coach at Holy Cross. Me and him really hit it off. And we're still close to this day. I talked to him probably once a month. And I only played for him for one season. 
And then honestly, just the, what I talked about before at Harvard, because my mom was is very successful, I didn't get any financial aid. So I would have had to pay 50 grand a year to go there. Wow. And then Holy Cross was zero. So to me, that was a very simple decision. It was 50,000 or zero. So I was like, all right, they made the decision for me, really. I like, yeah. I like that. <laughs> Talk to us kind of about all the offers that were coming in at that time because, uh, you know, you were highly rated coming out of Connecticut. So what type of offers were you seeing from, from you know, all levels of school, whether it be D1, D2, D3, obviously no D3 schools was coming because they knew you was better than that. But uh, at the time, what was you seeing? Yeah, it was a lot of uh, a lot of mid-major schools. So a lot of the Ivy League schools, um, they knew I had high grades. So a lot of the Ivy League academic schools uh, came at me. Um, my highest offers were probably uh, – at the end, George Mason and, and St. Bonaventure really came in at the end of my high school, at the beginning of my senior year. But then I, I didn't want to like flirt with, I had kind of had made up my mind at that point. So St. Bonaventure was probably my highest offer, which was Atlantic 10. And then a lot of mid-major schools kind of came in, but they kind of knew I wanted academics. So, but I, I said that probably schools, the highest school I probably messed with a little bit where like talked to the head coach and really got to know him was probably Penn State. A little bit he's actually now the head coach at navy he so i play against him mm. twice twice a year now so it's cool to, <laughs> cool to see him but uh that's that's one and then a lot of coaches like fairfield was one of my final ones where ed cooley was the head coach who's now the head coach at providence mm -hmm. he's actually the only head coach my mom cooked for he came to my house sat sat down and my mom cooked him dinner so he always tells wow. me about that when i see him on the road so that was that was good and then obviously i got calls from a lot of schools but now now I'm at the other end. A lot of kids don't know. You, just because you get a call don't really mean nothing. You're just a name on the list. If they're calling right. you every day, if you're calling you every day, then you're you're their guy. If they're not calling you every day, it don't mean nothing. For you, uh, you mentioned keeping your head down, staying focused, putting in work. What did the workouts look like for you growing up to reach to this level? You played overseas. What did workouts look like you for you growing up? Actually, honestly, very simple. My dad was big on, it was fundamentals, man. Like, and I think that's something that kids these days are missing. They kind of, as a college coach, it's crazy to say, like, we have to sometimes reteach fundamentals to kids that are athletically talented enough to be division one players. They have, they're skilled, but the fundamentals they lack, like simple right hand, left hand layups. I practiced that over and over again. He had me shooting, shooting left-handed just so my left hand was strong. And that actually, when I got to college, I ended up shooting like my go-to post move was a left-hand hook because probably from when I was eight years old, my dad had me shooting left-hand jump shots from three feet away because of that I felt strong with my left hand. I was confident in it. And then he was really big on like body weight. Like he's a, a lot of people don't know my dad. He's in martial arts. So he had some martial arts stuff that he did way back in the day that he had me and my little sister doing to kind of keep our body strong without weights. He wasn't a big believer in like weights before high school. So a lot of strength training that way, doing crab walks um, and sure. then, and then fundamentals on the floor. That was it. We didn't do anything. It was strictly, strictly vanilla, like simple, did what we had to do and then got yeah. out. But it was consistent. It was all about being consistent. And he was, he was awesome. He was, uh, he worked at East Lime high school down the street. So he had the keys to the gym. So it was awesome. We went there. It was 10 minutes from the house. We went there whenever we wanted at that point. Hey, fundamentals is key. We hear that a lot of times with our guests that either play professionally, play professionally, or coaching. They all say that's probably the one thing that's definitely missing in the game on all levels, D1, D2, 3, and high school. You don't see a lot of the fundamentals. Yeah. 
So, so, so growing up, every kid has like their favorite player. Who was kind of your favorite player, and like who did you try to, uh, you know, mold your game after? Yeah, my favorite player for some reason, a lot of the things I'm like an old school guy. My favorite player is Dr. J, even though I've never seen him play in person. That was my favorite player growing up. I always wore number six, just because my dad used to tell me stories about him. But I'd say when I got old enough to realize like favorite players, uh, a guy I really liked a lot was Gilbert Arenas for some reason because he just got buckets. I just like he was. Yeah. That was a couple of years when he was just getting fifty over and over again. I remember I got his shoes and all that. So I'd probably say that. I mean, obviously. Kobe Jordan but like one guy I really locked in on I felt like is like is Gilbert Arenas for sure nah Gilbert was a problem a botching grill but if he didn't get injured he was giving a lot of your favorite players work he yeah, was giving up yeah. <laughs> I remember that he game against the Lakers I was I was a Lakers fan I'm watching this like damn he killing Kobe yeah he, he was, was going crazy so for you, we see, we know that you went overseas. How was it playing overseas? And what's, what would you say is like the biggest difference from playing in the States and overseas that you saw? Yeah, well, I played in England, so I got lucky. I didn't have to learn a new language so I can go around and it was, it was normal. But I mean, the biggest difference overseas probably is, I mean, obviously living somewhere in a new country for eight months. Um, but it's it's still basketball. There's a couple rules that are different, but I'd say the hardest thing for me was that in England, where I was at, basketball is not the number one sport. Or it's not it's mm. not as popular as you think. So we had fans, but not as much as as soccer or they say football. Like that was there was levels, and we weren't there yet. So we they were trying to, they were trying to get they were trying to get basketball there, but it didn't happen. And it's still they're still working on it. But like it was popular, but it wasn't as popular as as football on Saturdays to them. So, I mean, that was probably the biggest difference. I mean, in, a, in a lot of countries, besides a select few, soccer or soccer is the, is the main sport in, in Europe. So a lot of that's different, but there's, there's bigger basketball finals in other countries. But I had a good time in England. I was in northern England. There was a lot of rain. The weather wasn't great. The food wasn't great. But uh, met some cool people and then had, had fun playing over there for, for a year. That, that first year, kind of what was it like in terms of your playing time, your role, um, and, and kind of your – what was kind of your biggest, like, on-court challenge, if you will? Yeah, so basically, if you as an American overseas, your role is to go score. Like, that's it. Like, you're, like, one of the better players on a team. The other players from that country usually aren't as skilled or as experienced as you. They didn't play college basketball in America, things like that. But I'd say my role was – was a score. I think I was the second leading scorer on the team. Me and another American were the top two scorers. Actually, crazy thing is I came off the bench. At that, at that point in my career, I wasn't – that didn't matter to me because I played starter minutes. So I was like a sixth man who came in and scored. Um, I actually played the three and the four. So probably the biggest challenge for me was also a double-edged sword was guarding. I had to guard 6'10 dudes, and I'm on with 6'1". Mm. Mm. So, but they had to guard yeah, me. Right. They had to guard me too, though. So that was the yeah. So they <laughs> you, was, you gave him the buckets right back. Yeah. So I had to play the four man a lot, which was different. I never played it before. So, but if I wasn't as mature, if I didn't have like five years of college and to know that it doesn't matter, that can I can see kids struggling with that because the coach is going to do what he wants to do. You just got to play. There's two positions of basketball, on the court or on the bench. That's it. Yeah. Don't matter. As I long like as you're that. on the court, as long as you're on the court, you're hooping. Definitely hey, like 
that sound like PJ Tucker stole out out of CJ out of his bag right there. That PJ Tucker doing the same thing, but RJ was doing that way before PJ Tucker started doing it for the Rockets. Um, yeah. You mentioned that you did five years of college. That fifth year, the post grad at Connecticut. How was that, and what made you do that fifth year? Uh, yeah, so basically, kind of a backstory. My junior year at Holy Cross, I got injured. I had a sports hernia, so I had missed the whole year. So I got a redshirt year. And at Holy Cross, people, a lot of people don't know this, there's no graduate school. So mm-hmm. I, finished, I finished college with a year left of eligibility. And it was either go back to Holy Cross and take like a minor when I had already graduated or go pursue a, ma- a master's somewhere somewhere else. So I talked to my family and we decided it's probably best to go get a master's for free just because it just made sense instead of going back to a school you already graduated from. So that was that was kind of the thought process behind that. And then had to go through the recruiting process again. So it was a long list of schools called that kind of narrowed it down. And uh, UConn, UConn was one of the schools that called and it was awesome. Went down to meet with Coach Calhoun and they offered me a scholarship and I ended up committing and it was it was a great experience. I mean, you can't beat it. I got to play at home for the for the pro team in the state for a year. Like it was it was a great experience for me. And then I kind of learned that's kind of I think where I began to think about coaching that year. Played for Coach Ali that year because Coach Calhoun retired and I was kind of in that leadership role and I started it was like a kind of a coach on the floor and I kind of felt like I see myself doing this in the future. Yeah. What's kind of the message you get too? Cause obviously Kevin Ali is a former NBA player. Um, you know, you playing for a former M- NBA player, what's kind of that message that, that they're giving you when, when you're so far along in your career already? Uh, I mean, they, they just kind of wanted me to come in and bring experience. I mean, that's something that like I had one thing I had on those guys. I mean, obviously the Ryan Boatwrights, the Shabazz Napiers, those guys are much better players than I was. They're beasts. So the one thing I helped that could help them with is experience. I played double the amount of college games that they have. And as you're growing, if there's somebody there as a veteran that you can kind of lean on and just it's dependable, that always helps you and makes your job easier. And that was my job, make their job easier, play defense and just be dependable for Coach Ali because he was a first year head coach too. So he was he was young in his career. So being just a, a reliable veteran on that team, no matter how many minutes I played, it didn't matter to me. That year I was I was really locked in on just winning. And mm-hmm. And we did win, so it was it was a good experience. For somebody to have played at the high level for as long as you played, what are some of your fondest memories of playing college basketball? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question because I had a kind of a weird college career. I played for four – I actually played for four coaches in four years. Played for a new coach every that's year. That's crazy. But I'd say probably – Probably the bookends of my career are probably my favorite experience. Like my freshman year, I had a really good year, and we lost in the championship game. We were one game away from the NCAA tournament, but I played for the coach that recruited me, and I, I love that man to death. He, he he gave me a chance when a lot of other people didn't want to. He took a chance on me, and uh, I always appreciate that. And then my last year at UConn, just seeing that team fight and become – we had the first uh, 500 or better record at UConn in the last like 10 years or something crazy like that. And people thought we were going to be bad. So we really fought that year, especially with the first year head coach. So kind of those, those two experiences were great. And then obviously probably at Holy Cross, my favorite memory was beating uh, Boston college at home. We beat them by 20, my junior, my junior year here. So they came to Worcester. We played in the arena downtown. There was a bunch of people there, almost like five, 6,000 people beat Boston college by 20, which is a, a huge upset for our schools. Yeah, when you were in uh, at UConn in your fifth year, 
uh, Boatwright, he was a sophomore, and, and Shabazz, he was he was a junior, I think. Yeah. Um, out of the two, out of the two of the, and it may you play with a. Uh, DeAndre Daniels as well, who was a dog yep. too on the court. Out of the people that you played with at UConn, who, you know, who who do you think at the time was, was the best player? Uh, it was it was Shabazz. Like Shabazz, he's a he has a different he has a difference. Like he's cerebral, he's 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 skilled, and he can really really shoot. Boat yeah. was just a freak. Boat can Boat can shoot, but Boat's a freak athlete. He's super fast. Like yeah. Shabazz isn't as fast as Boat. But like boats, boats are freak athlete. He can get to the rim, get to, get get to the lane on anybody, and make jump shots. But Shabazz is just—he's just—he's—he's he's different, man. He's—he's he's really good. That's why he'll have a long NBA career. It's because he can do certain things on the floor. He can make shots, and he's—he's he's really cerebral. With the years of that you've had with coaching, outside of you said you mentioned earlier, like the fundamentals. What's one thing that you think is undervalued in your time of coaching that you see? Um, from a coach's or a player's perspective? Coach's perspective. Okay. I mean, one thing that's undervalued that I look at all the time as a coach, like when I'm out looking at kids, all this stuff is, is toughness. I mean, a lot of people don't see that as like an attribute, but that's one of the first things I look at when I recruit a kid. <laughs> if I'm going to a high school game, I'm like, is he tough? And I like, I want to see him be put in like situations of adversity and see how he responds because that's all college basketball is. Like teams go on runs, teams do this, like there's travel, there's a bunch of stuff going on in your life. You got to be able to respond the right way. And if you can't do that in the right way, you're not going to be a good player. And it doesn't matter how talented you are. If you can't respond to adverse situations, your your career is going to be a roller coaster. Makes sense, makes sense. Yeah, and that goes down, that comes down to like mental toughness too, right? Not just mm -hmm. like being able to drive to the lane, knowing that there's a guy, you know, six, seven, in, you know, in the paint. But at the same time, like, you know, if you make a mistake and coach pulls you, you know, they want to see how you react on the bench too. Um, are you supporting your teammates? Are you are you cheering them on? Are, are you, you know, giving out calls to them and helping them out in, in terms of that? Um, mental toughness is, is going to be huge for that as well. For sure. I think mental toughness may even be more important just because it's you can teach a kid to be tough in situations like diving on the ball or, or something like that. But when – when they when they get into a situation where it's not going their way, how they're responding. That's that's what I look at. That's I think that's that's overlooked a lot because a lot of these kids aren't really put in those situations in AAU basketball. And sometimes in high school, like <clears throat> they're not put in those situations. So yeah, that's that's very true. One piece of advice you would give somebody that's trying to play at that D1 level. Ooh. That's a good one. One, your grades, because you don't want to be a kid who can't get there because you don't do your schoolwork. Because that's the first thing I ask for when I recruit a kid. All right, what's his uh, what's his GPA and test score? Let me get his transcripts. So that's one thing. You don't want to knock yourself out by not having good grades. And two, man, I'd I'd find a way to really learn the game and just like the fundamentals. Like if you can do those things, it sounds crazy, but if you can shoot pass and dribble it sounds simple but if you can do those three things you have a chance and you have some and you have some good attributes physically like you have a chance to be a division one player because a lot of kids can't do that consistently and that's what we look at like are you making the right play are you doing this and it, it makes it's very simple but like like for instance when i look at a point guard i'm like yo when he gets in the paint 
is he making the right play? Is he throwing it to the other team or is he throwing it to his teammates for shots? It doesn't matter if his teammates make the shot. I'm just seeing if he makes the right play. Mm. And, and a lot of kids don't play the right way these days. So like I'd look at NBA players, not at kind of what they're doing, like all the moves. I think the kids get caught up in like the moves they do. They do that because they're elite. I look at kind of the reads they make at the end of the move. So like, all right, why did he shoot this shot? Or why did he pass this? And if you can get those down, you're ahead of the game. Because a lot of kids, because we have to reteach kids that a lot when we get to college. So yeah. really the fundamentals and then literally making reads, like playing the right way, just playing basketball the right way. That goes a long way for college coaches. Yeah, we had a coach on here who literally told us when he's looking at the people he's recruiting, if they can't shoot, they can't play for them. Straight mm -hmm. like that. If you can't shoot, you're not playing for Coach Mingo. Straight like that. And he was saying a lot of people really do not know how to shoot. And then he said, I don't know if you agree with the sentiment, but he said to him, that's uh, that's the most actual important skill when it comes to basketball, being able to shoot. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 part of the game now. Like shooting equalizes everything. Like that's why you see those crazy games in the NCAA tournament. Most of the teams that beat people because they can really, really shoot. Mm -hmm. they can stress the floor they can make threes at a high level and then if the other team's not not hitting they're making threes then they're gonna be in the game even if they're less talented so shooting's the equalizer in the game of today rj one thing that i want to ask you before we get go ahead and get into the next segment is you know as a kid you have these goals for yourself right i want to be a d1 college player right you get there you accomplish that then it's like all right i got one year eligibility left let's see if i can go to another d1 school and play there you get that, you accomplish that, right? Now it's getting into coaching. You know, you've coached for Texas as an assistant coach. You've coached for Louisville, Holy Cross, even even D3 at Nichols. Um, kind of for where you see yourself now, um, you're in a good spot. You know, you're young. What what goals do you have for yourself moving forward in terms of where you, like, where you want to be next? Is, is a head coaching spot something that your eyes are set on? Definitely. So right now in the short term, obviously, we are in a situation the Holy Cross. We're kind of rebuilding it. And I, I take a lot of pride in that one because I went here. So like I really want to get the program to where it was when when I was playing and like so we can be at the top part of the league. That's kind of my short term goal is really helping these kids grow. Like we're a really young team. We got freshmen, two freshman point guards, like helping them learn and grow and kind of really, really get the program back to where it needs to be is my short term goal. But yes, I definitely do want to be a division one head coach and as my mentor said Shaka Smart says you don't want to just be a division one head coach you want to be a successful division one head coach so that's that's yeah. kind of my that's kind of my my goal man just keep learning obviously lean on my mentors that I've met I got great great mentors in my in my corner so just lean on them and hopefully one day I get an opportunity well, well I think it's safe that. I think it's safe to say that at some point, you'll be a D1 head coach and we'll be successful based off of just hearing you talk, your knowledge, the gems you drop. I think it's safe to say if I was a bad man, I'd put money on that. <laughs> I appreciate sure. that. I appreciate that. Uh, we're going to transition to the with the quickness segment. Just some quick rapid fire questions, whatever comes to your mind, whatever the answer is. Sure. What's your go to meal? Go to meal. Uh, lately, it's been it's been a little little steak steak filet mignon with some uh, mashed potatoes. Oh, bougie with it, huh? Yeah, yeah, bougie, a little bougie. The filet mignon. I, I can't, I can't get. I, uh, I ain't disagreeing with that one. That's <laughs> it. I ain't had one in a while. I'm actually going to get one probably this weekend now. Filet mignon. Got to. 
It's that prime uh, rib for me. <laughs> oh, okay. That worked too. <laughs> What's in your musical rotation? Ooh, a lot. Right now, lately, it's been like a lot of mid early 2000s, like rap, Jay Z, things like that. And I'm a big, actually, big country guy. I listen to country a lot. So, a lot of the new country. Luke Combs. Luke Combs is my guy. Yes, sir. Okay. So, random one. Who's your goat when it comes to hip hop and country? Hip hop is it's Jay Z, but like or Biggie. Like I, I can't really choose. Those are my two favorites for sure. And then country, I'm going with Luke Combs. I call him LeBron. He yeah. don't miss. He don't miss. He's a new age, so I got to call him LeBron. I can't call him Jordan. He don't miss. Well, what's crazy? What's crazy too is that you just mentioned Jay Z, one of your favorite artists. We want to bring you back to kind of like a debate that we had the other night on the show. Who's who's better overall, right? Is it Jay Z or is it Drake? That's a tough one. Drake, nice. Like it's I'm I've always been partial to old school though. So like if you hit me with the MJ LeBron, I'm always gonna choose MJ. So I'm gonna go with Jay Z. But that's that's a tough one. That's a tough one because Drake is Drake's is unbelievable. Yeah, Flex came out and called Drake his goat. So we was talking about that on the show. Yeah, that's a tough one. That's I, I'd probably stay out of that argument. If I had to make <laughs> yeah. uh, who's your Super Bowl champion this year? Oof. Somebody asked me that earlier. Uh, I'd probably go with the Chiefs. I don't know why. They, they, I know Tom Brady's been there before, but the whole Chiefs team's been there before. So it's a little bit different. Those other guys from the Bucks, sure like they, they were shocked. The Bucks were surprised. So once I saw that uh, little comment where he had to tell the dude stop crying because they're not done yet, I was like, damn, they might not know what that moment's like. Right. As a quarterback, who would you say in the NFL you could compare your game to when you was playing quarterback? Oof. I don't know. That's a good one. Probably. McNabb. Yeah, I was going to say Donovan McNabb because I could throw. I could run a little bit, but like I tried to throw more than run. You you had that size, too. You could yeah. take a hit. Yeah, I'd probably say that. That's probably the best one. Who's your NBA champion this year? The Lakers. Easy. I'm going back Easy. to the Lakers. You got to go with the Lakers. Lakers are foul. I don't trust I don't trust Kyrie. So that's <laughs> I don't trust them as a teammate. If they get there, it's going to be a crazy. It's going to be a crazy series. But right. three things, three things you can't live without. Oof. Uh Netflix or or for sure. I'm a bit. That's my hobby. That's my hobby. If I, if I was doing something, I'd probably be on the couch watching some type of show or something. <laughs> uh. Obviously, I'm just, I'm just gonna do objects because there's a lot of things you can, you can go into with, mm-hmm. that you can't live without. Um, let's see, Netflix. I probably say. So let's go with. Come on, man! It's rapid fire. Ooh, rapid fire, dang! Oh, <laughs> my mom, my mom's cooking for sure. And then, um, oh, Apple products for sure. Oh, a big Apple. All that's, Apple. Yeah, that's, that's great right there. You need the Apple products. Netflix. I'm a Netflix guy. I got all of them. Netflix, Prime, Disney Plus. I got Hulu. I got all the Hulu. Everything. I have all the streaming platforms. What you watching on Netflix now? What, what's your show? Uh, I'm not watching anything on Netflix. I can't find anything recently, but I've been watching Your Honor on Showtime. Your Honor is high level. 
Your I honor is elite. That's it. like it. that. Yeah, Bruh. Crazy. What's it on? It's, it's on Showtime. Showtime. Showtime been putting out a lot of good stuff lately. This give past, me a little synopsis. What's it? What's it about? Basically, about a judge in New Orleans and his son is involved in a hit and run of a mobster in New Orleans, and his his judge is trying to get him out of it. Basically, it, it's it's a lot more to it, but like it's it's crazy. And the judge goes against everything a judge is supposed to do to try to save his son. He's like trying okay. to work, work the system and all that stuff to keep his son safe. It's it's a crazy show and a lot of stuff you could relate to that happening like in real life. Like yeah, you're gonna watch yeah. it like, oh shoot, this probably did happen. Like this is it's a really good show. Last one before we get you out of here. Again, we thank you for taking time out to hop on the show with us. Uh-huh. RJ Evans is on the show for Bench Mob. Five people dead or alive that you have a meal with. Who are you coming to have steak with you? Ooh, uh, Malcolm X, for sure. Um, we got Malcolm X. Ooh, oh, John Thompson. Rest in peace. Just read his book. It was great. Um, my guy, Rick Pitino. Mm. My dude, I had dinner with him before, but he's he's the man. He's always great. Um, Coach Calhoun, and then probably Jay Z. I like that. Real real quick before we move on and let you go, I I, I gotta ask this question because I I'd be remiss if I didn't. What did you learn from Rick Pitino? You know, during your your year with him. Uh, I mean, he he taught me a lot of a lot of things about individual development, but honestly, he. He kind of taught me like the grind, like the grind of being a college coach and just keeping your head down. Same thing, keeping your head down, working. He's he's a big time worker, and he's just he's 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 the best at what he does because he's he's purpose. He has purpose in everything he does. He doesn't waste time. He's efficient, and he has purposeful actions. And I think that that's kind of helped me like focus on the important things in coaching. And he's a family guy. I've always respected that, and he always had time for his family. Well. I think we got the title right there for the show. The title of this episode will keep your head down and work. I think that's a perfect title for this. That is definitely exemplary of what you've done to get to where you are at this point. We thank you so much for hopping on, taking time out with us. You already know the vibes. This will be on all streaming platforms, YouTube, wherever you listen to your podcast, it will be there. But if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. Benchmob, we out. Peace.